Hello, welcome to the Funds Fanatic weekly podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden. I'm from CityWire and today I'm returning to the uh, important subject of the big challenge facing uh, UK equity income and dividend investors uh, from the dividend crisis that we're facing as a result of the coronavirus uh, recession. With me to uh, talk through the difficulties uh, and perhaps the opportunities uh, is William Meaden of JP Morgan Asset Management who's uh, joining me uh, uh, from Oxfordshire. Uh, William, good afternoon to you. Afternoon, How are you yeah. doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Now, you're the manager. Your main part of your job is managing the JP Morgan Claverhouse uh, Investment Trust. Uh, it's a UK equity income uh, trust launched in uh, 1963. So I'm always reassured to see a fund that's been going uh, longer than I have. Um, and it's got a great dividend uh, record, increasing payouts for 47 years years isn't that right um so you're just the kind of person to speak to when we're in the midst of this crisis when uh, companies right left and center have been cutting dividends uh, over i think we're up to over 30 billion pounds have been cut so far isn't that right william that's right yes um it, it, there is i mean there, there, there are all sorts of crises this this crisis is like no other gavin uh but you know it's a social crisis an economic crisis a health crisis but it's for investors it's also a dividend crisis and, uh, you know, we expect dividends in the UK market to be down 30, possibly 40 percent this year. Um, but Claverhouse has this wonderful track record of having put its dividend up every year for 47 years. Uh, and it's got the best reserves in the sector, the monies that have been tucked away in the in the good times for arguably times such as this. So uh, it's certainly an objective of the, the board to, to, to increase the, the, the dividend every year if it can and to keep that track record going. Well, we'll come back to the. Uh... The, the, the dividend capacity uh, a bit later, I'm sure. But just we could start off with the performance. Uh, yeah, the, the, the shares in your investment trust are down around a quarter, about 24% up to the 1st of June uh, this, this year. And, uh, you know, that doesn't, that, that, so are all your rivals. Many UK funds and investment trusts uh, have uh, fallen like that. But what are, you, what are you saying to your investors? Because that's put a big dent in your longer term uh, performance record, which was, which was looking good. Well, equity markets, you know, understandably around the world have fallen very sharply at the start of this year and the UK market and therefore Claverhouse was no, no exception to that. But as you say, Gavin, Claverhouse has been around since 1963. It's seen many ups and downs over the years. Uh, it's a very resilient trust. It invests only in the strongest, best companies in the UK. Uh, and it's come through all these crises before and I'm quite confident it will come through this again. Uh, One of the curious things about your share price, about the Clavehouse share price, is that quite often if you'd seen uh, a portfolio slump like that, you might expect the shares to be, you know, have fallen more than the underlying net asset value of the portfolio. But in fact, the the shares at the moment are trading on a small premium, 3% above uh, the uh, net asset value. So that's indicating to me that there is demand for the shares. Is that because people are buying, you know, into a, a bargain? They see, you know, you've fallen a lot. Or are they seeing you and funds like you as the kind of last hope for a dividend? Well, I think, I th I think there are probably two reasons why the shares are trading at asset value or very often at a, at a premium. And indeed, we've been issuing stock recently. Uh, is firstly, you know, I, we have a very good shareholder base who look beyond the sort of short term noise and movements of stock markets and look at the longer term. Uh, and if you look at, you know, the record in the eight years I've been manager, the shares are some 40% ahead of the all share index since, since March 12, I came on board. And secondly, and just as importantly, as you say, at this time of dividend crisis, investors want to put the probability on their side that, that, that they're going to 
get some income coming in. And uh, those great reserves that, that, that Claver House has, I think is read by investors as, as, as meaning that they have a much higher probability of getting income from Claver House Investment Trust than, than, than from many other sources. So you've mentioned those reserves a couple of times. So how, how big are they? How much money has the trust set aside over the years that it can now dip into to, uh, to be boost a dividend? It's more than a year's worth of reserves. We paid 29p uh, dividend. We're a December year end. We paid 29p uh, in four installments uh, last year. Uh, and we have well in excess of 30p uh, in, in reserves. So we have more than a year's worth of, of, of dividends tucked away. And what has the board said about uh, future dividends uh, in light of the crisis? Well, it's stated quite clearly in the, in the annual report. We're, 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 a, we're a trust that aims to increase capital and income, and specifically on the income on the dividend. Uh, the objective of the board is to increase the dividend every year and over the piece to increase it at least in line uh, and, if possible, in, ahead, of ahead, of, uh, ahead of inflation. Right. And but what how long do you think this dividend drought is going to go on for? Uh, we had a uh, webinar on uh, uh, income investing recently um, and uh, there were some of our experts were saying that the futures market is forecasting not just cuts this year, but next year as well and possibly going beyond. Um, what's your view? I, th I think it's really important as a fund manager to know what you don't know. And there are many, many things in, in, in this crisis that we don't know not least of which is how long it's going to go on for. And frankly, nobody does. Until we get a vaccine for this, for this virus, uh, we can't be fully sure that it's over. Uh, so uh, I would expect dividends to be down some 30 or 40% this year. And then from then on, it depends how the, how the pandemic plays out. But it's all the more reasons to be investing in companies with great balance sheets, really good cash flow, moats around the business to just put the probabilities on our side that we're going to be in those companies that can deliver dividends for longer than most. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. But you, um, you, you market yourselves as, as, as a fund, a trust that's focusing on great British dividends. Um, so you invest solely in the UK, is that right? Just invest solely in the UK. Yes, that's right. Because you say that actually um, you've got this 47-year record of growing the, the dividend, which uh, is the longest of the purely UK-focused uh, equity income trusts. Uh, you know, others like City of London have got a slightly longer record, but uh, they do invest um, overseas. I was wondering, though, I mean, at this webinar we had recently, there was a fund manager, global equity income fund manager, making a plausible argument uh, for investing overseas, you know, for the same sort of reasons you're saying, looking for a strong uh, companies um, who can grow their dividends. But if you invest globally, you've got a bigger stage. Um, where are the great British dividends going to be found uh, in, in light of uh, the, the pandemic? Well, uh, there, there, are, there are not as many uh, companies in the UK paying dividends as there were this time last year, but that's, that's a, a global phenomenon. But the pharmaceutical companies, the utility companies uh, are, are, are still paying dividends. Uh, there are some companies that have prudently chosen, I think, to defer dividends. So the UK house builders, for example, were just on the verge of paying some very substantial dividends. But when the crisis came along, they quite rightly are holding those back. So I think that sort of paradise postponed rather than paradise lost. I, I expect those dividends, if we continue to come out of uh, lockdown the way that we seem to be doing, I, I expect those dividends to come latter half of this year or beginning of next year. But of course, there are some companies that, that, that aren't allowed to pay. And again, that's a global phenomenon. So the regulator of banks, for example, are saying banks must not pay dividends at the moment. But yeah, life insurance I, companies, legal in general, a very good British company, uh, is paying a substantial 7% yield at the moment and saying it's going to pay that. 
So does that leave you in a tricky situation because uh, it's not just a simple case of going, oh, all the companies that are continuing to pay dividends, I'm going to invest in them. You are actually holding on to those that are suspending or cutting in the hope that they're going to come back with yeah, uh, bigger payments in the future. That's right. I think you have to look be, be, beyond uh, the, the dividend cut and say, why is the company doing this? Is it deferring it or has it not got the money to do it? Or is the regulator not allowing them to do it? So, you, you know, you're investing in those companies that either are paying uh, or have the ability to pay and are just sort of deferring that until a later date. Okay. Now we're talking about dividend cuts. I've got to ask you about Shell because that's surely a company that is not going to be uh, growing its dividend back to uh, its previous level. Um, what was your view of its cut? You know, the, the first time it's cut the dividend since the Second World War, it's cut by two thirds. Uh, it, it, was, it was a shocking event when it happened and it was the top holding uh, in Claverhouse at the time. Yes, it was it was sort of just a, a marginal overweight. But um, it was a surprise, as you say, the first time since the Second World War. But from a cash flow and a balance sheet point of view, I think it was perfectly logical. You know, Shell is uh, more so than most companies at the moment uh, is, is going through an evolution, going from a sort of carbon heavy company to something so much lighter. Uh, and we support them in, in, in those efforts. And they've got very clear goals in, uh, in terms of achieving that, which we support them with. Um, and if cutting the dividend was, was part of that objective of making it a, a cleaner, greener energy company, then, then that gets our full support. Yes. Now, you've expressed optimism about their, their ability to, to you know, reinvest this money that they're not paying out on the dividend to put it into these non-carbon businesses. But realistically, do you think that is something, uh, you know, an oil company, an oil giant, a major can actually realistically do? And, and isn't there a danger that uh, you know, the transition to a sort of carbon-free world is, is, is happening faster than they can keep up with? Well, I think the dividend cut is, 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 is a clear indication that management do get that. When they make such a, a cut, at first time since the Second World War, as you say, that's, that, that to me is an indication that management really do get it. Uh, and if they can invest in, 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 in greener uh, investments and hit those objectives, those quite tough objectives they've set themselves, uh, we will monitor them closely along the way as shareholders, part of our responsibility to hold their feet to the fire uh, and, and uh, make them accountable to, to reach those goals. Uh, and I think that the company, shareholders and society will be altogether better off uh, if, if we help them achieve those objectives. Okay, so you, you've got uh, faith in their the chance that they have in, in, in achieving that but um it's currently shell is uh, according to your latest fact sheet just over six percent of the trust that's the second biggest position did you sell any shares did they make any adjustment after the dividend cut in the holding uh we have kept our waiting in the all set i'm not sure i can go into the individual from a compliance point of view into the individual trading and individual shares but we're, we, we remain overweight in the oil sector I think it's highly likely that BP will cut its dividend. But again, that's priced into the market. BP is ostensibly on a 10% yield. You know, the market is expecting a cut there. And indeed, if you look at the performance of Shell since it's cut its dividend, the market uh, is saying that's the right thing to do because the shares have performed perfectly acceptable since that cut. Okay. Um, you've got a very blue chip portfolio. You take pride in the fact that 80% or more of the portfolio is in uh, FTSE 100 stocks. Um, is that a good place to be at the moment i was wondering whether if there is pressure clearly big pressure on dividends you might want to take a, a wider look and invest across the stock uk stock market or are the FTSE 100 companies the strongest companies and the best dividend payers 
they tend on average to be, to, to be the stronger companies, the better diversified companies, the more global companies. You know, the UK stock market is sitting on a 30, 35% discount valuation wise to global markets. But those, those big blue chip companies, the AstraZeneca's, the Shell that you mentioned, the, the, the Glaxo's, uh, the Vodafone's, these, these are international companies. It's an accident of history that they're called UK companies. These are genuinely global. So if you buy into the fact that UK equity market is cheap, 30% discount, and these are global companies, you're effectively buying global equities on a significant discount. And that's the case for really investing in big British blue chip shares at the moment. Okay. Now the number of stocks uh, seems to have stayed around the around the sixty level since uh, end of last year. Um, have you made any changes uh, during the, the the past months? We have because the the the, the, the facts changed. I mean, we bought into the Boris bounce and the clearing of the political skies with the Conservative victory in the election at the end of last year. We had, like it or not, a date for for Brexit departure, thirty first of January. But then. Middle or end of February, it became, it became very clear to us this was going to be a global crisis and pandemic, particularly when you had the first death in the States at the end of February. We took the gearing off uh, and we changed the portfolio at the margin away from cyclical stocks or those stocks that were most likely to be hit by this pandemic. So the leisure sector, the travel sector, uh, catering sector and so forth. We reduced those and increased our exposure to more resilient, more robust companies that could get by whatever. So pharmaceutical companies uh, and utility companies to name to name two. So there were some changes at the margin, but you know we're still focused on the longer term and uh, we are seeing now some 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 really good companies at substantially lower share prices that we think will, will will emerge from this crisis in even better shape than they went into it yes i was just wondering though so all the companies in your portfolio as far as you consider they are strong resilient companies you can't tell what's going to happen in the future but uh, you're not taking any risks there you want the strong balance sheet first and foremost Is that uh, right? we're, we're taking risks you have to get take risks to get to, to get returns what we're doing as ever as a, as a, as a fund management group is, is putting the probabilities on our side, on the shareholder side. There are no guarantees at all, not least of which, as I say, we don't know how long this, is, is, this crisis is going to go on for. So we're hoping for the best, but we're stress testing the extremes and we're planning for the worst. And should the worst happen, you know, we think the odds are on our side that we'll be in companies that get through this uh, and as, as many of their competitors fall by the wayside. Yeah, can you just uh, give, give us a bit of insight into your uh, approach to constructing the portfolio and, and, and sort of diversification? Because you hold around 60 stocks. So, you know, if you're looking at the FTSE 100, that means there's quite a few that you're not investing in. So that sounds, so it's quite a focused portfolio, but at the, get, but at the same time, 60 is quite a lot of stocks. But I'm just wondering, you know, in your um, uh, address to investors uh, at the annual general meeting in April, you, you, met, you, you highlighted two stocks that you like, Next and Games Workshop. Um, if you like that, but I think they're right. The saying that those positions are around over one percent or so. Is that is that correct? Oh, they're, they're more than that. We, the, we hold uh, we hold two and a half percent in Games Workshop, uh, okay. and we hold two percent in Next. So four and a half percent of the portfolios in those two stocks, both well, retail stocks. Okay, uh, you kind of answered my question. I was just wondering though, if if you like them so much, why not hold more? I mean, is there an argument at this times to be more uh, punchy or con um, show more conviction in the companies that you think are going to survive? Well, it's a pretty focused portfolio, as you say. You know, there are three hundred and fifty stocks in the in the three fifty index, and we we hold just ju just sixty of them. Um, but it's at the same time we want it to be a risk control portfolio, as you know, at the top end, Gavin of the UK market. There, you know, it's a, it's a pretty 
uh, focus list of some very large companies. And what we don't want is uh, by not holding those stocks or by holding too much in those stocks for the portfolio to be knocked off course by just one stock. So we're playing the portfolio effect and we have to be cognizant that there are some very large stocks in the, uh, at the top end there. And so we need a risk control wrapper to, 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 to help our shareholders through uh, these volatile times without adding too much uh, risk and volatility uh, uh, on top of the underlying equity market risk. So 4.5% in those two stocks, both retail stocks. I mean, you wouldn't think that we'd be in retail stocks in these challenging times, but I think those are two really long-term winners in, in, in a challenged sector. Okay. And I was also wondering, do you dabble at all in other uh, investment companies, particularly those that we might describe as alternative assets, alternative income? Because a lot of our, uh, our, our listeners, you know, will be thinking, you know, that they're probably heavily invested in equity income funds, but they might look at, um, I don't know, for something like Hypnosis Songs is, is, is one that's been in the news this week, had a very positive trading update. You know, that's clearly royalties from pop songs is, is, is quite a, a different area to investing in shares. It, 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 I'm just using that as an example, but do, do any, any of those alternative funds that have sprung up onto the London Stock Exchange in the past five years, any of those of interest to you? Uh, we, we just hold pretty plain blue chip vanilla equities. We try and keep it pretty simple. Uh, there are just two investment trusts that we hold, actually two, two investment trusts, uh, in those 62 stocks that we hold currently. One of them is our in-house investment trust, the JP Morgan UK Smaller Companies Investment Trust, um, which has got a great long-term record and gives us exposure to the uh, smaller companies in the UK index. And then we hold Scottish Mortgage Trust to give us exposure to uh, tech. Uh, and James Allenson, you know, as is well known, is an absolute star in that sector, is part of our benchmark. Uh, and that's how we gain exposure to uh, tech and, and overseas tech to go back to your earlier question you know amazon for example is james's top holding so uh those are the the, the, the two stocks i would highlight that are perhaps off the the, the more usual beaten track of, of, of blue chip uh UK. Yeah, that, that, that is a very interesting position that you've got in, in, in scottish mortgage I, I, I'll, I'll give you that um and obviously it's performed incredibly very well uh, this year and, and, and longer than that in fact okay well that's um just uh, turning then to, to, to outlook to markets i mean uh, you know, we, we, we've been dwelling on the negative, uh, obviously, but uh, markets have actually rebounded pretty strongly uh, from uh, their March lows. Uh, strong April, people are putting money back into the, into the stock market. Maybe they've got time in their hands uh, uh, sitting at home. But, um, you know, with the, the, the FTSE, FTSE all share, I think, is up over 20% since, since the lows. Uh, some people are feeling a bit queasy about that, but it's gone too far. We are going into a recession of an uncertain length. But what's your feeling? Well, strategically, uh, I'm still quite cautious, and I think it's right to be prudent. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. The, the, the list of things that I and we and you know, investors generally don't know is still a very long one, too long uh, to, to be really out and out bullish. So I think it's right still to be cautious, and, and that's why gearing is, is down at a slightly lower level uh, than usual at some 7%. Short term, tactically, Gavin, uh, I think markets have still got a bit more to run. That's why we do have some gearing on. Uh, because the, the, the sheer size of the stimulus from monetary authorities around the world is, 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 is making equities a very attractive investment. It's, it's the Fed put is it's underwritten a lot of risk. It's going in and buying junk bonds. Uh, and, and so a lot of the risk in the short term has been taken away. The stimulus from the Fed is twice the size it was in 2008. Just to give you an idea, you know, the old adage, don't fight the Fed, I think is going to be true in the short term. But it doesn't, of course, you know, 
produce a vaccine for the virus. It, 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 it can only sort of help the symptoms a bit and help asset prices. It, it doesn't cure the underlying economy. Um, and we're in an environment now where there's lots of negative interest rates around the world, for example. We, we, we need to fully work out the consequences of those. So I think it's strategically still right to be proven, but short term, have some gearing on to catch this tactical bounce. OK, well, uh, on that note, perhaps we'll sort of uh, draw, draw a line to it there. Uh, cautious, but uh, watching out for what may come around the corner. When, when are your uh, next set of results? When's the next update going to be from we're a december year end so we have a half year at june and so figures will be out uh within about six weeks of that um so there'll be a half year report out uh, in, in the late summer okay well we'll look forward to uh to, to reading that when it comes out in due course in the meantime william thanks very much for your time and uh, very good to talk to you my pleasure